Hi everyone and welcome. I'm Scott Rose. I'm currently the sheriff with the Dodge County Sheriff's Office in Southeast Minnesota. And I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and their sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. The village of Hayfield, Minnesota, came into existence as a result of the Minnesota and Northwestern Railroad Company of Minnesota, which later became the Chicago Great Western. They extended their tracks through this area down into Iowa. The first train ran through Hayfield on October of 1885, making its way to Manly Junction, Iowa, before returning to St. Paul. During that inaugural run, the train picked up all the Hayfield businessmen who'd made their start there, offering them a free ride to St. Paul and back. Over the years that followed, the village grew with a saloon, creamery, feed mill, two hotels, barbershop, meat market, foundry, two drugstores, two village doctors, two hardware stores, two furniture stores, butter tub factory, newspaper, shoes and dry goods store, three blacksmith shops, two machine warehouses, and more. It even had its own coronet band and orchestra. Hayfield was growing. It was growing fast and thriving. The year was 1905. It was the Progressive Era, a period of widespread social activism and political reform across the United States. Theodore Roosevelt was our president. The great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? And the pay for the first city marshal was about $35 a month. The Hayfield City Marshal was responsible for law enforcement within the city and taking care of the street lamps. Normally, the marshal would usually be on duty from a reasonable morning hour until around 11 o'clock at night. For the last three years, Hayfield's marshal was 40-year-old Ole Havy. It was the week of Christmas. The area had seen a handful of unsolved burglaries over the past 10 days. The Hayfield Post Office had been burglarized, with just over $100 in cash and $169 in stamps stolen. The Dodge Center Post Office, 10 miles north of Hayfield, had a similar incident reported. And a hardware store in Casson, which is 5 miles east of Dodge Center, had been burglarized too. A 32 caliber revolver was missing from that break-in. The Dodge County Transcript was the local newspaper, and they were reporting that there were special services being held in the churches and then numerous family parties and family reunions being held all over town. Christmas services with special entertainment were held on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday at various churches in town. The weather was ideal, and according to the paper, it was a season of joy that they hoped of goodwill among men. It was cold and blustery that Friday evening. Marshal Ole Havy was making his rounds in the streets of Hayfield. 
Around midnight, as it was getting colder, Ole walked home to put on some warmer undergarments before completing his final patrol of the streets and businesses. Shortly after 2 a.m., Ole burst through the doors of the restaurant in the Green Hotel. He asked the night clerk, Archie Cooney, to follow him over to the Dalen and Ulrich store a block away. He had seen a dim light flickering and what appeared to be someone inside the store. Then, Ole rushed out the door and ran down the north side of Broad Street towards the store. Cooney reported later that by the time he got his coat and started up the street, he could see the marshal shining his nightlight through the west front window of the store and then running up to the steps to the doorway. As Ole ran up the steps, Cooney heard three rapid gunshots, followed by a fourth, and then saw Ole fall to the sidewalk. Terrified for his own safety, Cooney ran back into the hotel, locked the door, and, after unsuccessfully trying to wake one of the boarders, became hysterical and never went back out. Just after 2.30 a.m., the southbound number 9 passenger train arrived at the depot in Hayfield. Thomas Dunlap was a local who had taken the train back from Dodge Center, where he'd been attending a dance that night. On his walk home from the depot, in front of Bergen and Gears hardware store, he found a 38 caliber revolver lying on the sidewalk. Strange. He picked it up and walked to his rooming house. Inside, with better lighting, he recognized the gun as belonging to Marshal Ole Havy, and the gun was empty. Concerned, he went back outside to investigate. When he got to the Dale and Ulrich store, he noticed broken glass scattered on the sidewalk in front of the store. Realizing that something was very wrong, he started running towards Chris Johnson's all-night restaurant where he worked. As he neared Fred Orning's store, he found Ole's body, face down near the edge of the sidewalk. He ran to the restaurant to get help. Dodge County Sheriff John Brown had also arrived on the number nine train as he had planned on doing some business in town early that morning. He was in the restaurant when Orning ran in to report finding Ole's body. Sheriff Brown and others ran out to the body of the marshal. It appeared that he had staggered nearly a half block from where he was shot before he collapsed and died from the gunshots and loss of blood. The sheriff wired several places to try and get bloodhounds to respond so they could try and track the killer, but nobody was available. They carried Ole's body to Dr. Thimson's office to wait for the post-mortem exam and coroner's inquest later that day. At daylight, the investigation at the Dale and Ulrich store revealed that there were at least eight shots fired, three of them from outside by Ole Havy. Four empty and two loaded cartridges were found on the floor inside. The burglar apparently had picked the lock of the front door to enter the building. A grain sack, partially filled with articles of dry goods and shoes, was discovered behind the counter on the west side of the store. The bag contained ladies' gloves, a fur boa, a couple pair of men's mittens, and a pair of number six patent leather shoes. Their theory was that Ole's murderer had escaped out the front door and ran east down the Broad Street sidewalk. Small drops of blood were found along this route, leading the sheriff to believe that the suspect may have been injured in the gunfire. The trail of blood stopped a few blocks away where they suspected the burglar's team of horses might have been waiting. 
the trail had gone cold. The village council quickly met and they offered a $500 reward for apprehension of the killer. The Hayfield Township Board added another $200 to that amount. Now, that was a lot of money back then, equivalent to a year's worth of Oli's wages. Dr. E. Harrison was the coroner, and he lived in West Concord, which is 20 miles north of Dobson. He arrived by train around noon to conduct the post-mortem examination with local doctors Thimpson and Bigelow. The doctors determined that the fatal bullet entered just about and to the left of the heart, passing horizontally through the apex of that organ to a point near the spine. Dr. Thimpson was able to remove the bullet for evidence. It was in perfect condition and was turned over to County Attorney J.J. McCaughey. In 1905, Sheriff Brown's office was in the basement of the Dodge County Courthouse, which is recognized today as the oldest working courthouse in the state of Minnesota. It's located in the city of Manterville, which is three miles north of Kazan. Construction of the courthouse began in 1865. It was completed in 1871 at a cost of $15,000 and was built with 41-inch limestone blocks, mined from a local quarry and was designed by a builder out of Wisconsin. The courthouse went through extensive remodeling in 2015 and the courtroom was remodeled to look like the courtroom did back in 1905. Acting on the belief that the burglar had been shot and was injured, Sheriff Brown formed a search posse of several dozen citizens to search, focusing on a 12-mile by 12-mile area between Casson and Rockdell to the east of Hayfield. Farmers were notified to check their outbuildings and barns and to report anyone of suspicion. Frank McVeigh. Frank was a drifter and had many run-ins with the law. In 1895, he was in prison in Nebraska for burglary for two years. Three years later, he was convicted of burglary in Iowa and served three years in the Iowa State Penitentiary. Eleven months into his sentence, he killed a fellow inmate by striking him over the head with a wooden mallet. He was convicted of murder and sentenced to 10 years in the Anamosa Penitentiary in Iowa. He was released November 28, 1905. From there, he would burglarize seven different victims in both Iowa and Minnesota before the night he shot Marshal Ole Havey in Hayfield. About 15 miles east of Hayfield, at around 5.30 in the evening, Sunday, December 31st, a shivering and half-starved Frank McVeigh approached the farmhouse of John Rood. He asked John if he could have a job and something warm to eat. The Roods were about to celebrate New Year's Eve with some of his neighbors, and John invited McVeigh to join them. As McVeigh became more and more contradictory and evasive when asked questions about himself, John Rood became suspicious. In order to keep him at the house, John offered McVeigh work with a high wage. This bought him enough time to get message to the authorities. 
The Roots Farm was just outside of Dodge County into Olmstead County. So Olmstead County Deputy Sheriff Ormond responded and arrested McVeigh, who at one point tried to run out of the house unsuccessfully. Deputy Ormond transported McVeigh to the Olmstead County Jail in Rochester. To this day, Dodge County is one of around a half dozen counties in the state of Minnesota that do not have a jail. Back then, the sheriff's office had a holding cell in the basement of the courthouse, but no facilities for long-term holding. County Attorney J.J. McCaughey went to Rochester on Monday to question McVeigh about his whereabouts the past few days. McVeigh insisted he was a laboring man walking through the county looking for work. A day before the murder of Ole Havey, McVeigh had been in the Chicago Great Western Depot in Teope, Minnesota, 32 miles south and east of Hayfield, trying to sell stamps he had stolen from the Hayfield post office burglary. He asked a man in the depot if he knew where he could possibly sell some stamps. That man was William Brunts, who actually was the Teope city marshal. However, at the time, he was in plain clothes. McVeigh, who was boarding the northbound train, gave Brunts the stamps and instructed him to sell the stamps for 50 cents on the dollar, and McVeigh would return another day to collect the money from him. Marshal Brunts believed that McVeigh may have mistaken him for a hobo, as he had been in plain clothes and said he was unshaven that day. When Marshal Brunts heard about the robbery and the murder, and heard that a suspect was in the Olmstead County Jail in Rochester, he recalled the stamps given to him by the stranger several days prior were in two envelopes that had Postmaster Hayfield, Minnesota written on them. He realized then that the suspect in custody might be the same man. He contacted Dodge County Sheriff Brown and Attorney McKay. They all agreed to go to Rochester along with Postal Inspector Smith of St. Paul, who was investigating the burglary. McCaughey had a plan. For two and a half days, they would have Brunts in a cell next to McVeigh. Out of sight of the two of them, they would position a stenographer who copied down every conversation between the two. McVeigh still believed Brunts was the hobo he gave the stamps to back in Teope at the depot. During these conversations, McVeigh eventually asked Brunts what he had gotten arrested for. Brunts told him it was for the stamp deal, and McVeigh replied that they ought not punish an innocent man for it, and you ought not tell that you got the stamps from me. In another conversation, McVeigh told Brunts that he left the sack in the Dalen and Ulrich store in Hayfield because it was half full of goods, and he got excited. He also asked Brunts to have his family bring food to the jail with a hacksaw hidden in it, and both of them would make their escape. When Brunts was released from custody several hours later, McVeigh apparently had no idea that he'd been duped. Further investigation revealed that the bag left behind with the stolen goods at the Dale and Ulrich store had been obtained from Emil Mance, the Teope grain buyer. McVeigh had traded Mance a jackknife for the bag. The jackknife had Zeisimer and Parkin Hardware Store imprinted on the handle, the same hardware store in Casson that had been burglarized and reported a missing 38 caliber revolver. The evidence was stacking up against McVeigh. 
On Tuesday, January 9th, Sheriff Brown brought McVeigh by train to Hayfield for a 2 p.m. hearing scheduled with Justice of the Peace John Johnston on the charge of entering the post office on the night of December 19th with intent to commit larceny. Brown planned on waiting to charge him for Marshal Ole Habe's murder until he had more time to fully investigate certain aspects of the case. According to the Rochester Post and Record, January 2nd, 1906, the crowd of spectators swelled to between 500 and 600 people to see the suspect. In court, McVeigh waived examination and was given a bail of $1,500. Having no money for bail, he was ordered to be held until the next grand jury would be convened in April at the courthouse in Manterville. Manterville, 17 miles north and east of Hayfield, is the county seat of Dodge County. Founded in 1854, Manterville is one of the oldest cities in Minnesota. It's the city known for being the source of Manterville limestone, which found its way into the buildings across the United States back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Manterville limestone was used to build the historic Hubble House back in 1856, as well as the Dodge County Courthouse in 1886. The city of Manterville is arguably best known for the Hubble House. It was known by mail carriers and stagecoach travelers as a rest stop along their path from east to west. Its fine dining with a Civil War era atmosphere has been enjoyed by many famous people and presidents. It's currently one of the oldest Minnesota restaurants to this day. While en route back to Rochester with Sheriff Brown, McVeigh, while still shackled legs and hands, tried to jump out of the restroom window of the train. Sheriff Brown was able to stop him from jumping to his death. This would be the first of several suicide attempts. The next attempt would be to cut his wrists and then to hang himself from the bars where he was cut down and successfully revived by Olmsted County deputies. He would now sit and await in the Olmsted County Jail until his next hearing. Ole Havey was born in Dodge County on December 16, 1965 to Ole and Margaret Havey, natives of Norway, who had 14 children. He grew up on a family farm and married Anna Louise Peterson of Dodge Center, and the couple farmed his family's homestead. While farming, Ole was promoted to the office of secretary and treasurer of the local Vernon Creamery, an institution he was instrumental in making one of the most important cooperatives in the state. The couple raised four children. In 1898, they bought a 160-acre farm that they operated for three years. Then they moved to Hayfield, where Ole owned and operated a livery barn or stable where horse owners would pay a weekly or monthly fee to keep their horses. The following year, he sold the business and accepted the position of village or city marshal. He was also constable of Hayfield Township, so at the time of his death, he was the principal peace officer in the whole southern portion of Dodge County. He also was superintendent of the Hayfield Gas Plant, collecting a total salary for all of his jobs of $50 a month. To this day, many officers still rely on overtime shifts or part-time jobs to help pay the bills and take care of their families. Ole Havy's funeral was held at noon in the South Synod Church on Tuesday, January 2nd, 1906. Out of respect for him, all the businesses in Hayfield were closed that day. 
The funeral attendance of over 700 people was one of the largest ever held in Dodge County. Keep in mind, at the time, the total population in Hayfield was just under 500 people. The services were conducted in both English and Norwegian. On Tuesday, April 3rd, McVeigh was taken before the grand jury of the 5th Judicial District in the Dodge County Courthouse in Manorville. Judge Thomas S. Buckham listed the charges filed against McVeigh. Three counts of third-degree burglary, two in Hayfield and one in Casson, one count of second-degree larceny for the money and stamps from the post office, and one count of first-degree murder of Ole Havey on December 30th. The grand jury returned all five indictments, and McVeigh was given until the following Wednesday to enter his plea. A plea of second-degree murder would be accepted, provided it was made the next day. Otherwise, a trial would proceed upon the indictment. The sheriff and county attorney knew they had a solid second-degree murder case. However, a first-degree murder case could put the county at risk of several disagreements, arguments, and the risk of an acquittal by a jury. That day, McVeigh did plead guilty to the charge of second-degree murder. Sheriff Brown and the county attorney had been very convincing that they not only had enough evidence to put him behind bars for the rest of his life, but enough evidence to have him hanged for his crime. McVeigh did disclose to other inmates at the county jail about his fear of being at risk of hanging for the murder of Ole Havey. Since it was too late to transport him to the prison that day, Sheriff Brown and Deputy Fred Jocelyn decided to wait until early the next morning to transport McVeigh. The plan was that they would then board the Chicago Great Western train at 5 a.m. in Dodge Center and head north to Stillwater to the state prison. As I mentioned before, Dodge County doesn't have a jail, so that night they decided to house McVeigh in the single cell located in the Dodge County Sheriff's Office in the basement of the courthouse in Manterville. McVeigh would try one more time for freedom that night. The holding cell at the Sheriff's Office was very small, with a cell door to the east facing three closets and a small wash basin. There was a small window well above the wash basin. The door to the corridor and stairwell leading up to the south doors of the courthouse were to the south of this small holding area. Sheriff Brown explained that he sat on a chair on the outside of the corridor door. Later that evening, McVeigh climbed up on the wash basin and was able to thrust open the window. Sheriff Brown heard the noise in the room and ran in just in time to see McVeigh shimmy out the window into the night. Sheriff Brown fired two rounds from his revolver, one round striking the window frame and the other one going out the open window, but it was unknown whether or not McVeigh had been hit. McVeigh ran from the courthouse and stole a local farmer's horse just outside of Manorville, but for some unknown reason was forced to abandon the horse several miles northwest of Manorville. He took the bridle off the horse, turned it loose, and then carried the bridle for a time before tossing it into the ditch. The horse eventually returned to its farm home outside of Manorville. On foot, McVeigh reached Old Concord a couple of hours later. This is a small village about eight miles north and west of the courthouse where he escaped. There, he found a can of milk to drink and got turned around in the darkness. He was now headed southwest until he found a straw stack where he fell asleep. Sheriff Brown had sounded the alarm and rounded up several people to help search the surrounding area, but they were unable to locate McVeigh. 
They had no idea which direction he had fled once he got out of the window. McVeigh had escaped. The local papers were all over this, blaming the county for not having a safe place to keep prisoners, for not having a jail, and blaming the sheriff and guards for being outwitted. Some even speculated that Sheriff Brown had fallen asleep, allowing McVeigh his opportunity to escape. Around 6 p.m. on the day after his conviction, Mrs. E.B. Scripture was living on a farm about six miles southwest of West Concord and went into her barn to collect eggs, and she nearly stepped on a man hiding under a pile of hay. A smart lady, she pretended not to have noticed him and continued her search for eggs. As soon as she left the barn, she went to the house and telephoned some of her neighbors, who responded quickly, and they immediately surrounded the barn. They went into the loft with pitchforks and started jabbing into the hay. When they did that, Mert Scripture's fork penetrated McVeigh's limb. They yelled at him to come out or they would start shooting. McVeigh gave up and was identified as the man who killed Ole Havy. McVeigh was given something to eat and then tied with ropes to a carriage and was transported to the Dodge County Sheriff's Office in Manchester. A large crowd had gathered there as the news spread of his capture. Security was now tight, yet they allowed many citizens the opportunity to walk by the cell door and take a passing glance at the killer. The next day, he was transported by train to Stillwater on April 7th. He was registered as inmate number 1838 and was incarcerated until his release in 1942. He was 30 years old when convicted. He was 66 years old when released. Hayfield City Marshal Ole Havy was only 40 years old when he was murdered by McVeigh. He left behind his wife, Anna Louise, and four kids, including three that still lived at home at the time of his murder. Son John, 10 years old. Son Wilfred was seven years old. And his infant daughter, Louise, was just two months old. A special train was provided by the Chicago Great Western Railroad to help transport the funeral party and about 100 mourners to Dodge Center, where his internment was made at Riverside Cemetery. The Dodge County Republican paper in Casson summed up the events that took place, saying Ole Havy was a man without an enemy, and his demise, under such terrible circumstances, was a shock to the whole community. Always true and faithful to each and every friendly, and they were legion, he will be sadly missed by all. Ole Havy is honored and remembered each year by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association during Police Week at the State Memorial in St. Paul. He's also honored and remembered each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota at their memorial program in Rochester. Both of these organizations are volunteer-run and they are funded solely by donations. If you're interested in supporting these great volunteer organizations who really work tirelessly to make sure heroes like Ole Havy are never forgotten, check out their websites at www.mnlema.org and www.lawenforcementmemorial.org. Thank you 
for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and for their sacrifice. Don't forget to thank their families too. They give up so much for our safety as well. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Let's show these law enforcement officers and families our support. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening. Thank you.